Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of Hashtag Pistons Podcast, or I suppose the Hashtag Pistons Podcast. Um, I'm Joe, I'm your host, and uh, just a couple of sort of side notes. Um, first off, sorry for missing Tuesday. I had a really, really bad head cold. Um, I've still got it a little bit, but it's not quite as bad. But like, I was, I was, I was talking like this all day, and it was just, it would, it would not have been good. So if I'm a little snuffly this morning, that's why. But it's good enough that I think I can do it. Um, and then just as another sort of uh, programming note, sort of a thing, I know that the podcasts have kind of been going up at odd times. That's because so the boss man for hashtag basketball. He's Australian, and he's the one who's been posting them. So I send him the file, and then he gets them all posted and whatnot. And since because of the time difference, it often works out that he just can't get to it until it's nighttime for us. So one thing I think I'll do in the future, because for this one I'm actually recording it in the morning on Thursday, uh, I think what I might do in the future is I'll record it the night before I want it to be posted, and then they can get it posted what would be very early, probably in the morning for us, and or at least for those of us on the East Coast. I won't assume everybody um, is in America, but I actually know some of you aren't in America, so that's, that's part of it, I suppose. But yeah, so I'm thinking that's what I'll probably do in the future, uh, but for now, we're still got this, so I don't know if the, the, it's possible this may be posted after the Atlanta game tonight, so I won't talk too much about that. Uh, so I'll try and focus. I'll talk about it a little bit at the very end. So I'll try and focus on other things first, though. Um, and of course, because there will be a game, there will potentially be a game before this gets posted. Uh, <laughs> it potentially opens me up for some things that don't age well very long, I suppose. But yeah, so those are just some side notes to keep in mind. Um, you know, you look at, they're on a losing streak. Obviously, it's a six-game losing streak, and <laughs> there's not, or seven-game losing streak. It's a seven-game losing streak, and, you know, I mean, it's, even with last night, or not last night, two nights ago, against the Nuggets, even with that in mind, okay, it's important to remember the biggest reason for this still is the fact that they just played a brutal stretch of schedule. That is the biggest reason for what happened. There's there's just there's no two ways around it. It was it's that's as brutal a, and I've said it a few different times, but that is as brutal a stretch of schedule as any team is going to play all season. Play a bunch of tough road games and then they come home for three games and the first two are against the Warriors and Celtics. I mean, that's just that's absolutely brutal. So if they had not been playing such a tough schedule, they would have won some of those close games, almost certainly. That's the biggest reason. Even though there are some frightening things, there are some bad things, then the last game where they lost to the Nuggets, there was there's no way around it. That was a really bad loss. But, you know, that's still the main thing, and that's the main reason why it's not time to panic yet. Now, I would say the loss against the Nuggets, that was really bad for all sorts of reasons. And then, obviously, this could have already happened, potentially, by the time this gets posted. But if they lose to Atlanta, that would be bad. Uh, so they're they're at a point where, even with all the things that make you think this isn't time to panic, it's definitely on a little bit worried time, for sure. And so the big thing is, so against the Celtics, 
I've, everyone was like, the offense looked terrible, and it was terrible, and these guys struggled, and that guy struggled, and whatnot, yada, yada, yada. And, <coughs> excuse me. And that is true, but in that instance, it didn't worry me that much because the reality is the Celtics have done that to a lot of different teams this year. I mean, the Warriors played them earlier this year and didn't even score 90 points. So that's a game where it's like they played a lot better than they did um, earlier in the year. Of course, talking about the Celtics, not the Pistons. The Pistons played much worse than they did when they played the Celtics before. But the Celtics played a lot better I mean, that was that's the sort of game that the Celtics play, and they've done that to a lot of teams this year. So it wasn't worrying me. It was disappointing, obviously, but the reality is they the Pistons were probably not going to beat the Celtics two times in a row like that, and it certainly wasn't going to happen in the same fashion that they did to the Celtics before. That's just the reality. The Celtics are the best defensive team in basketball, and there's no there's not a whole lot of reason to think that that's much of a fluke. Um, they've come back to the pack at least a little bit since early in the season. Early in the season, they were the best defensive efficiency by like two or three points per 100 possessions. They've come back to the pack a little bit since then, but they, they're still probably, I, I would fully expect them to be one of the best defensive teams in basketball. There's no reason to expect otherwise. So they definitely, they can do that to teams. So that wasn't a worry. The thing that's a problem is that then they turned around and they looked that bad against Denver. Denver is not a good defensive team. They're like the 25th defense in the NBA. They are a bad defensive team. It's not just, oh, they're not that good. They are legitimately bad. And they're missing Paul Millsap, and Paul Millsap is almost certainly their best defender. Now, they've missed him for a little bit, but there is no reason that they should have struggled that much offensively against the Nuggets. And I said this in my recap of the game, but if they had lost to the Nuggets and some guys had had really big games, like Jamal Murray scored like 28 points and not that many minutes. Uh, I think Wilson Chandler also had a pretty good night. Like, even though without Jokic to sort of be the hub of the offense, they can struggle to create consistent good looks. They've got a bunch of different guys who can score, most notably Jamal Murray, Will Barton, and... uh, excuse me, and uh, Wilson Chandler, also Gary Harris. Like, those are guys who can score, even if if they're not necessarily going to be consistent without Jokic. And even though Jokic isn't there, there's going to be nights where those guys are going to fill it up. Jamal Murray did. So, like, if they had lost a close game, it was 115 to 113. Jamal Murray scores 30-some points, which if he had played more and the game was closer, he probably would have scored 30-some points, I would guess and whatever, then it's like, I mean, it's not good, but it would be like, eh, still one of those cases where you lose a close game to a good team. But the fact that they could not generate offense against them, that is bad. So that's the reason why it's gone from just, well, you know, losing close games to good teams, not going to panic about that. That game and struggling to score against Denver is where it changes from that to, it, this is something to actually look for and potentially be actually worried about. And, yeah, so, but even within the fact that the schedule's tougher, when you look at things that have started to go wrong, um, a big thing is that they've just not shot as well from three-pointers. Um, as a team, over the seven-game losing streak, they're shooting just 33% from three, which is obviously down quite a bit. Uh, before the streak started, I think they were up at, like, 
um, like 37 or 38%. They're in the top five in the NBA in percentage, I think, as a team. And in particular, um, Avery Bradley fell off a cliff with a shot. He's only shooting 30% from deep over that stretch. And Reggie Jackson's only shooting 32%. Langston Galloway's only 34%. Uh, the good news is Anthony Tolliver has found his shot over this stretch. Tobias Harris has regressed a little bit from, well, I guess it's like 10 percentage points. So he's regressed from where he was, but he's still shooting like 38%. And for what it's worth, that's still a win. Um, and that's kind of what the hope is. Once again, he was never going to keep shooting 40, you know, in the upper 40s. Like, <laughs> that's just... That's just a reality. That was never going to happen. But if he can shoot like 38% the rest of the season, that would still be an absolute win for him. So not going to complain about that. But that's a big thing, though, is just as a team, they're not shooting quite as well from deep. Means a few means that two or three extra shots per game are misses instead of hits. And that's the difference in close games oftentimes. And that's why they lost a bunch of close games. And... You know, within that, um, a lot of people have talked about, that has gained some traction over the past few days, are the dribble handoffs in the offense. And a lot of people, the main thing, I think it was Duncan Smith, who, um, the guy, he used to be the Pistons power guy, I think he writes for The Athletic now. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not necessarily his biggest fan, but he, he's fine. I won't say anything bad about him, he's fine mostly. But um, I think it was, he tweeted it, and it was circling around, that, so last year, I forget what the exact numbers are, I should, I probably should have looked it up, but I'm not going to because I don't care that much, I'm pretty sure that I remember the numbers, is that, so a lot of people, rightfully so, pointed out that post-ups last year, particularly from Andre Drummond, were a huge hole, just a black hole in the offense, and they, it, they averaged like .86 points per possession on those, and um, on post-ups as a team, and then they mostly have replaced that with dribble handoffs and stuff like that. And then the point is, I think this year they're averaging like .88 um, points per per possession this year on dribble handoffs. And a lot of people are like, so they replace them with something else that just doesn't work. And that's not necessarily true. Is And I did a article on this a little while back about um, Andre Drummond and his dribble handoffs is that um, even though now obviously you'd ideally like to get more points out of your out of the dribble handoffs directly, but the thing with the dribble handoffs is that they're not actually necessarily their value doesn't all that much come from the actual dribble handoffs. A lot of their value comes from the sort of counters to it. And um, that's something that I really highlighted. I you know not to just hawk my own articles, but I think that I did a I think I did a pretty good job of highlighting it. Is that you're not necessarily running these dribble handoffs to get to get great looks directly from the handoff. Um, the point of those is it starts to open up the floor and make it easier to do other things, and you have to sort of take it all as you know a whole as the whole offense not just the dribble handoffs. And that's something that's really important to remember with those, is that even though, yeah, it's true that when Avery Bradley comes up and Andre Drummond gives him a dribble handoff, 
there's not that many times that that actually is resulting in great looks. It oftentimes is a long two for Avery Bradley or Avery Bradley taking a, a floater, and he's not particularly good at those. And just in general, honestly, giving it to Avery Bradley is not all that effective. But you need to be able to do that to generate those great cuts that Avery Bradley makes to the hoop. And they usually get two or three just completely free baskets from backdoor cuts in two or three times a game. And those, obviously, are going to be really, really high percentage looks. And they generate a pretty good amount of them. And the reason they're able to generate a lot of good looks out of that motion offense are because people are keen in on the dribble handoffs. I've dug into the numbers a little bit, but not too much. And also it's tough to, it's a little bit tough to, um, to, to really analyze the number just from the numbers. It'd be more work than is really worthwhile. I'd have to go back and, you know, chart out all these individual plays and I'm not, and it'd be, it'd be kind of fun. Maybe I should try and do that. I mean, I, the semester for school is over, but that'd be a lot of work, but basically you can't take the dribble handoffs in a vacuum. Because the dribble handoffs are sort of a required part of the general motion offense. You have to take the motion offense as a whole. Now, it is worth mentioning, maybe there is something wrong with the motion offense. Um, I've always, this year, I've been a little bit skeptical of it at various times. And, um, you know, I've kind of been in favor of maybe running more just straight pick and rolls than so many dribble handoffs, particularly with Avery Bradley. But, you know, that's another discussion. I just think that it's not really right to really zero in on just the dribble handoffs. You have to take it all as a whole. Whereas with those post-ups, the reality is particularly because so many of them were Andre Drummond, nobody double-teamed him, so he wasn't passing out of it very much. That actually was, those are possessions tossed in the hole. Because it's just you're dumping it down to Andre Drummond. He's not passing. He's not setting up anything else. With the dribble handoffs, even if it's not as that effective, you still, you're setting up other things that are potentially effective. And that's the point. Now, within that, I do think that they should maybe look at changing the way that they do the dribble handoffs. I think one big thing is less to Avery Bradley. And, I mean... It's tough because I like Avery Bradley and he's a good player, but the reality is he's kind of, what would be the best way to put it? He's like, I don't even watch enough football anymore to know for sure who a good comparison today would be, but he's like a good slashing running back who, if you can create a hole, he's going to hit it. He's going to hit it hard. I guess the guy who played for the, who plays for the Lions, I don't actually know. I think he was on the team this year. Um, that Zach Zenner, I think was his name, the white guy who was the running back, where it's like he's pretty fast and he hits the hole and he hits the hole hard every time. If you can create a hole, he's going to do really good things. He's decisive. He goes straight to it, goes upfield, never. He's not going to do any dinky crap, right? But if there's not a hole, if there's not space for him to hit, he's just, he's not going to be able to make something out of nothing. And so with Avery Bradley, because he cuts so hard, he's very fast, and he's he's skilled enough to make good on it that if there is space for him to hit a hole or whatever to get to the hoop, he's good at it, he can go on a straight line, and he can make plays out of it. The problem is, if the defense is set up correctly, that he doesn't have a sort of clear avenue to go to, whether that's himself driving or making an easy pass, if there isn't that sort of clear avenue, 
he really struggles. I mean, people have brought it up quite a bit, but he turns the ball over a ton for a guy who's not actually like a primary ball handler. And he averages 2.4 turnovers per game. That's like, that's just way too much. He averages the same number of turnovers per game as Reggie Jackson does. And he isn't in nearly as many stressful ball handling situations as Reggie Jackson. I mean, that's just, that's bad. I mean, 2.4 assists against, 2.4 turnovers against 1.9 assists per game for your shooting guard. That is not good. Like, that is really, really bad. And on the plus side, he's almost always going towards the hoop, so they don't often become, like, touch turnovers for touchdowns. But it's just not good. And so I think maybe one thing would be less dribble handoffs to Avery Bradley, or at the very least you tell him, don't try and create something if the look isn't there. If the look's not there, channel your inner Tobias Harris, just stop and just reset. Uh, you don't have to try and make plays every single time. And then another thing that I think would be good that would be even more basic than that is run more of them beyond the three-point line. Less long twos, more three-pointers. Even though Avery Bradley, obviously, he like I said earlier, he's shot like crap from three lately, we know he's a good enough shooter to actually make that potentially work. Run more of them beyond the three-point line, and I think better things will happen in general. Uh, I'm so stuffed up. I'm sorry. So, yeah, that's the thing. But even within that, I still think it's unfair to say dribble handoffs are bad, so we should cut them out. Because without those dribble handoffs, you're not getting a lot of the really juicy things of that come from the motion offense. Uh, so it's sort of like, it's I mean, once again, just use a football reference. It's sort of like where you're running the ball for just chunks of three or four yards or whatever to set up a play-action pass. It's that same basic principle that even though not necessarily being all that effective here, you're doing it because you have to do this in some way to set up the big plays. And obviously it's a little different in basketball because, you know, all the play, you're scoring two points every single time, so it's different. But the basic premise remains the same. You have to do this to set it up. They should look into ways to make it more effective. Maybe give the ball to Reggie Jackson more and Tobias Harris more, less to Avery Bradley. Run more of them beyond the three-point line, so Avery Bradley's taking more threes instead of long twos. Those are both things that would be good things for them to do. That said, they shouldn't be cutting it out completely, at the very least, if they're going to be um, committed to doing this motion offense, which most people have really, really enjoyed. Most people are in favor of the motion offense, as far as I can tell. Most people like it. They're like, yeah, this is a good thing. We like all this motion offense. We like how it's egalitarian, etc., 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 Those dribble handoffs are an integral part of making the motion offense work, even if the dribble handoffs are not directly leading to really good looks consistently. So, yeah, that's that. (coughs) Um, The other big thing, I suppose, I guess this, I guess I'm at 20 minutes, so we'll be fine. The other big thing of the past bit is Stanley Johnson. Um... They didn't start him against the Spurs a little bit ago, but that was, and Stanford Gundy said it, that was purely a matchup thing. They wanted to have Anthony Tolliver on the floor to guard LaMarcus Aldridge, and for what it's worth, that seemed to work out pretty well. Stanford Gundy was pretty adamant, nope, that was just a matchup thing, that's not a Stanley thing. And then, against the Nuggets, Stanley Johnson comes off the bench, and um, he was looking like he was headed for a DNP until late in the game. Um, it, it wasn't straight garbage time yet, but 
Uh, it was mostly out of hand. Supposedly, Stan Van Gundy said that Avery Bradley was feeling pretty sick. Uh, that was listed before the game that he was sick, but that he decided to play, and he was apparently having a rough go of it. And that's supposedly the only reason that Stanley Johnson even got in the game. And now, one caveat to all this is that perhaps something has happened off the court that has put Stanley Johnson in the doghouse. Obviously, last year he got suspended one game for a violation of team rules. We still don't know exactly what happened with that, but presumably it was something. We don't know what the deal is with this. Perhaps there's something else that has happened. I haven't seen any reports of that. Um, but just as a possibility, if something else has happened, like maybe he missed a practice or was late to something or whatever it might be, if there's something else and that changes it. If it's purely a basketball thing, though, I really am not a fan of that. Um, I could get not starting him, potentially. There are quite a few stats. I mean, it's been floating around quite a bit recently. There are quite a few different stats that show that Stanley Johnson could possibly be the problem with the starting lineup. Um, his on-off numbers are not good this year, and the starting lineup with someone else instead of him has generally been good, other than, of course, against Denver, it didn't work at all. Uh, and uh, my nose is so stuffed, man. Maybe I shouldn't have even recorded this. Whatever. We're, we're going on. We're plowing through. We're being tough. That's what we're doing here. But right, just because the basic idea of we need more shooting, Stanley Johnson is not shooting the ball well at all, particularly lately. He's only shooting 21% from three over this stretch. Um, and basically saying we like Stanley, he plays hard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the little things he does. But just then from a basic standpoint, we need more shooting on the floor with our starters. We're going to try that. I get that line of thought. And even though I personally think that they should keep starting him, um, I understand that. There's a solid argument to be made for starting someone else. Now, I would say I'd much rather have Anthony Tolliver start than Reggie Bullock. And I, I love Reggie Bullock. I'm basically like the president of Reggie Bullock's fan club. But Anthony Tolliver is just better than Reggie Bullock, I think. And, yeah, he's just better than Reggie Bullock is. But to potentially be having him head for a DNP, I just, I do not get that even a little bit. Um, Stanley Johnson's defense is really important to this team, and without him, they have issues. Now, admittedly, against Denver, there's not necessarily that really good wing scorer that you have to look out for. I mean, Wilson Chandler's good, but it's not the same as, like, you know, Kevin Durant or whatever, whoever, or Giannis Antetokounmpo, whoever it might be. So I suppose his defense would have less impact, but... You definitely, this is a guy who should be playing. He definitely should not be getting a DNP. And if that's something that starts to happen, once again, unless there's some outside issue that we don't know about, that would be hugely frustrating to me because he. I absolutely think that he deserves to be in the game at least. And obviously, I personally, I would prefer him to, um, I prefer him to start still because, once again, I think that defense is really important to them. Uh and I still have some hope that he can find a not they can find a certain amount of competency with a shot back. He had it for a stretch earlier this year and then he's just fallen apart recently. Uh but he does so many other good things. I really don't think he's been the problem with the offense, I suppose. And he doesn't help, obviously, but I think he does enough that he's still a positive on the floor. I do not think he's been the problem with the starting lineup. 
Obviously, the Denver game would support that, but even if even if they'd gone out and played really well against Denver without Stanley Johnson in the starting lineup, I would still be saying this, that I do not think he is the problem. I think potentially if you started Anthony Tolliver or maybe even Reggie Bullock going forward, if you did that, it may well make the starters better in a certain way, but I do not think that Stanley Johnson is like the reason that the starters are struggling, which is something that a lot of people have sort of suggested. And admittedly, the on-off numbers do support that. Just, I just don't see it. I think Stanley Johnson is hugely important to their defensive play. And I think that he, even though he can't shoot, even in his not being able to shoot at all form, I think he does enough with his passing, his ability to help you get out in transition, that I don't think that he's a huge glaring negative on offense. And, you know, just as much as he's a negative on offense, I mean, Tobias Harris is still a huge negative on defense. But there's not people calling for, well, we need to have someone start other than Tobias Harris because Tobias Harris is a really good offensive player. Stanley Johnson is a really good defensive player. And just as much as, you know, having Anthony Tolliver or even Reggie Bullock be on the floor helps everybody else offensively by creating more space, Stanley Johnson's defensive effort helps everybody else because he's just a really good, smart, heads-up defender. So... Even if, potentially, I think that there's a decent chance that if you started Anthony Tolliver instead of Reggie Bullock, I think that the starting lineup may well be better. I don't think that it's just because, well, we need to get someone other than Stanley Johnson. I think that it's just because Anthony Tolliver is playing really, really good ball this year to the point that Anthony Tolliver might just be better than Stanley Johnson is right now. Um, It's not just because Stanley Johnson can't shoot. I think it's just because Anthony Tolliver has been awesome this year. Honestly, I think that there is a decent argument that you could start Anthony Tolliver over an awful lot of guys in this league and it would make their starting lineups better. He's been that kind of good this year. So that's just kind of my two cents on that. Um, We're only at 25 minutes, but I'm probably going to call that it. I have had to pause it. Maybe you've even noticed it. I've had to pause this uh, several times to blow my nose. This has been... This has been a struggle, but um, I guess I'll say a couple words about the Atlanta game tonight. Uh, not too much, though, just because of the fact that um, this might not come out before the game. So I guess really the main thing is they just have to win this game. So if you're listening to this after the Atlanta game and the Pistons have lost, then it's officially time to start to be a little bit worried. Um, on the plus side, if they do lose, I won't have to see it. I am going to get to go and see Star Wars tonight. We're going to an early showing. I'm pretty sure it's an early showing at least. Um, so that'll be fun. So I will not be watching the game. I will have to watch it on replay. But, well, maybe I won't want to watch it on replay. But regardless, that's that. So stay beautiful, everybody. Go Pistons.